Ken Campbell. The Seekers Podcast. Welcome to Ken Campbell, the Seekers podcast, hosted by me, Daisy Campbell, Ken's daughter, and David Bramwell. Ken Campbell was one of a kind, an unconventional performer, wordsmith, theatre director, comedian, trickster, and creative powerhouse. For this unique series, we'll be plundering Ken's archive to bring you the best recordings of his one-man shows, as well as other selected treats. So, rather than us introducing Mystery Bruises, we've actually got Ken talking about it in an interview he did with Sheridan Thayer from a documentary she made called Antic Visionary. Yeah. Well, Mystery mystery Bruises... Mystery Bruises was mainly about behind-the-scenes activity with um, scientists that I'd met while, um, while we'd been filming Reality on the Rocks. Um... This is a, a three-part series about quantum mechanics. But, I mean, very particularly, it was about uh, David Deutsch and, the, and um, the, the many universes of the multiverse. That was... Uh, Stephen Hawking. Yeah, and Stephen Hawking as well. But, uh, yes, yes, Stephen Hawking. Well, Stephen Hawking comes in, in Mystery Business, to Friday to confirm the <laughs> extraordinary ideas of David Deutsch. I think David's absolutely terrific. As far as I know, he's the foremost knowledge in Britain regarding time travel. Yeah, I guess we all got uh, really into Maurice Ward, did we? Uh, Maurice Ward, the, uh, the Manchester hairdresser, um, who, who came up with this... Um, Marvellous stuff, starlight, some sort of um, polymer plastic stuff, which is utterly non-flammable, or non-inflammable, both words meaning the same thing. Um, it, and um, Morris uh, allowed it to be um, tested, but never allowed it to be analysed, right? And here's um, the reports of the tests from the Cavendish Research uh, Laboratory, Cambridge, and uh, also NASA investigated, reporting here from the James International Defence Review. And it says here, the results have been astounding. The material is so heat resistant that it has bust lasers and withstood the equivalent impact of a two megaton bomb. They say you could sit in a box made of the stuff in the midst of an atomic bang and escape totally unscathed. They say you could sit in a suit made of it on the surface of the sun and not even be warm. Discovery. Um, he's, uh, he, he's so far he's turned down two million pounds. He's not even allowed it to be patented. But he says he's waiting for the right man to come along. And an, an alert seeker sent me this. Uh, sorry, it came a, a little note saying uh, maybe he awaits um, uh, the moment when the gas man cometh. Uh, this is quite a fun. Um, anyway, what, what, what this is? Oh, hang on, there are seekers down there. Have a look. Don't pass it around. Let's have a look at it. 
Um, yeah, um, as I said, then all the king in there at the Xerox copy of the front cover of Gnosis magazine. And pictured on the front there is Saint Dominic. Uh, or uh, original name, you see, Domenico Gazman. Gazman there um, is heading the Inquisition, and he's made a, he's made a little bonfire, look, in that church. You know, can you stay with that bit? Look, he's made a little bonfire in the church, see? Uh, and on to, look, can you see him poking into the bonfire? There he is. Um, the, the Cathar Heretic Books. Yeah? Now, the Cathar Heretic Books are going to blaze away fire. But in um, Gazman, is going to put out a holy Bible. He's going to poke a holy Bible into the bonfire. Not only is the holy Bible not going to burn, it's going to pang out of the bonfire with such force, <laughs> such ferocity, that it's going to both bruise and singe the beam. Now, uh, you'll find that the, uh, the, the church, uh, sadly, has tumbled down now, but they've still got the beam. The beam uh, has been moved to... Um, a little church now in Rennes-le-Chateau. Anyway, implication there, Seekers, that uh, back then in, in 1250, that the Roman Catholic Inquisition had access to some sort of um, non-inflammable elastic with which they would hang uh, Bibles up to the, up to the roots. Um, but a bunch of the Seekers and I were looking into this, and it just does seem that uh, Gazman there is in fact guilty of having pitched Cathar heretic technology. You see, because your, your Cathars were an interesting bunch. Your Cathars held that there were two gods. That there was God Almighty, who they equate with nothing. You get this? So that, and the Cathar God Almighty is complete fuck all, right? Right? That's the thing. And then there's this evil, balmy, deranged demiurge who created the evil universe of matter. And so the job, the job of your Cathar, of course, is to help wind the whole show up, wind the universe up um, as soon as it can. Now, of course, the Cathars realised that to do this, they were going to have to get into, um, into science pretty, you know, pretty deep and pretty early. So I'm talking about back then in, uh, what, the year 1000 and before, and they had quite an advanced form of science. Because you see, uh, uh, your, um, your Cathars, not believing in procreation, or believing, that, believing in it, but they believed procreation was an evil, um, and so they came up with this great way of slaking male lust, which was anal sex, mass anal sex for the chaps, you see. So you say, well, that, well you know, how are they going to be more cathars to help wind up the universe? Ah, oh, well, they run orphanages. Cathars. <laughs> 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 I mean, you know, and, you know some, some fell by the wayside a bit and did have kids, of course. Um, anyway, so, but they came up with this uh, really quite advanced science, which was based on what they called air currents, magnets and stuff they found up people's bottoms. There's your, there's your cathars, and I said, so these are the, um, your holy buggers, you see. They are your original holy buggers, your boogars, your bogomills, your bogeymen. Right. Anyway, um, if, if you nip to the library tomorrow morning and look it up, cathar, C-A-T-H-A-R, uh, you'll, you'll find that it will say that they all, um, they're all done in by the, um, the Inquisition. The whole lot were wiped out by sword and flame by the year 1251. Anyway, I was going over to, um, to uh, address the seekers of Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, on these matters. I mean, and it certainly, um, I mean, I, 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 there's no doubt that I knew more about Cathars than anyone in Halifax, Nova Scotia. But in this, I was in complete error. <laughs> Everybody in Halifax, Nova Scotia knew way more about Cathars than me. And I'll tell you why, because it's bollocks that they all got burned up by Gazman and co. Uh, and a whole load of the buggers escaped through Bulgaria, which in its day was known as Bugger Area, <laughs> and they escaped across 
and they got across the Atlantic 300 years before Columbus, and they settled in Halifax, Nova, well, what's now known as Halifax, Nova Scotia. And when the Brits and the French arrived there, you know, properly with their flags and whatnot, there were all these indigenous um, Cathar buggers living there. Uh, um, and, and, you know, so they didn't want them there, and so they put them all in ramshackle boats with the hope they'd all sink, and most of them did. But then some of them got to Louisiana. And um, they say, your, your Cathars are also known as Albigensians, also known as Arcadians, which is your Cajuns, i.e. Cajun cookery, Cajun music, right? As a hint of the old Cathar heretic about it. And some, and some of them got to Montreal, right? And there were some seekers interested in this. Oh, well, I'll open a few doors for you here, yeah. As I can tell you something, <laughs> that, like, um, it's, called, it's called in Canadian history, that when they sent all the Cathars off in rotten boats, it's called... The, the dispersal of the LeBlancs properly, because the, you know, the main family name was uh, LeBlanc. And last year, there was a meeting. All the LeBlancs, all the dispersed LeBlancs came to Halifax, Nova Scotia, you know, for a bit of a knees up. Whereas a lot of um, odd things apparently went on, you know, behind closed doors. And I can tell you who was there was Juare was there and Dimambro. Um, uh, he was to, to rise, you remember, with a marvellous cult of death. You remember Juarez and Dimambro? It was only a few weeks ago, actually, and his cult of death. It was terrific, wasn't it? First of all, there was those three who burned themselves up just outside of Montreal, and then the action moved to uh, Switzerland for your Alpine Armageddon. And then there was the House of 23. They all boom, uh, burned themselves up, and then the House of 25. They did it rather marvellously with... Uh, by filling bin bags full of petrol, you know, uh, and, and then uh, uh, sellotape to the cooker to go off at a certain time. And they died, if you recall, if you read this stuff in depth, with their, with their feet all sort of weirdly pointing at each other, underneath um, a creepy-looking Jesus with a rose. Seekers always beware of creepy-looking Jesuses with roses, man nodding here. Because that, has seen the gentleman there knows, is the sign of your Cathar, right? And uh, I mean, what's pathetic in the insight and the Guardian and everything like that, the man they've got six people working on this, is that um, they're at pains to say that Joire and Dimambro suckered all these rich uh, guys... Uh, and ladies into the cult and then burn them all up and bugger off with the money. And then they have to say, oh, I see, no, they've been found in there with their flock. They burned up with their flock. Oh. And then the whole thing comes in. You never read anything more about it, do you? Isn't that pathetic? I mean, surely that is the moment where we want the doors only and say, what were these guys up to? Well, I can tell you what they're up to, because your cathars from time immemorial have been into the technology of death. Do you see, if you die in certain ways, on a creepy looking Jesus with roses, with your feet pointing at there's a lot more to it than that, of course. But you can, you can, uh, you can reincarnate under will, i.e. You, uh, you can be reborn with your memory of this life intact, you know? And the, the style of folk who generally knows about that have already done this a few times, you know? So they've got people da -da 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 -dum, building up their lives, you know? <clears throat> Obviously it's towards uh, winding up the universe as soon as, as soon as possible with all that. You know, like, like growing knowledges. Also, they're capable, I think, if you put your feet slightly differently, and you can possess, you see? And like chap there, probably doing much through this life. They go, oh, go on, out he goes, chap. And they wouldn't come up you, you see? And his missus wouldn't know. I mean, all she noticed was that he seemed to be a bit nicer than he was, you know? They're cunning buggers, you cathars. Um, yeah, anyway, so... But they were telling me as well that the, uh, the Holy Grail, the cathars brought the Holy Grail with them, and the Holy Grail is uh, buried um, about 40 miles out of Halifax, Nova Scotia, Oak Island, Mahone Bay. And the Holy, uh, Holy Grail is uh, down this thing that's called the Money Pit on Oak Island. They've been digging after it for 100 years now. 
And it's a most extraordinary piece of engineering, engineered hundreds of years ago. I mean, first of all, they thought there was going to be pirate treasure down there. But the thing is, the dating of the, dating of the works down there is when way precedes the pirate dates. And uh, anyway, so they, with, with, but the thing is, it's engineered very cunningly with water traps. It's like a sort of Indiana Jones uh, uh, thing, uh, thing this year. Your, your, your money pit. But I, uh, anyway, just let me touch on the Holy Grail for a moment, because I mean, I was a Sunday school boy, you know. I went to a Methodist Sunday school actually, because it was a difficult road to cross to get to the Church of England. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and um, anyway, we, we, and um, the Holy Grail then, I mean, it was our Lord's blood, you know. Uh, you know, presumably if it existed now, you know, it would be in clotted form. You know, clotted form, no, no, no. But they said, no, 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 you fool. It's, it's the cup, it's the chalice in which they caught it. But then, do you remember, I mean, this is some time ago now, I guess the older seeker read this. Uh, holy blood and holy grail. Come up with a dramatic difference to what a holy grail is, man. I mean, uh, to, to get into this, you've got to know that Jesus went on, in, in a, you know, in that lost bit. Uh, he went on holiday in France. He took this uh, day called Mary with him. Was it Mary Magdalene? To be honest, we're not awfully certain about that. Certainly her name was Mary. And they had um, a couple of kids while they were in France. And they said, oh, la la, we'll, we'll leave them in France. They can be French, did they? And, and so they left them there. And that became the... Um, the line of French kings, the Merovingian dynasty, you see? So that's not just a royal line, that's a holy line. And that holy line, that holy lineage, these are all things that were known to Jean Cocteau. And then, and, and anyway, this holy line comes into our own royal family, Henry VI and Henry VIII, and dang a dang a dang a dang a dang is unbroken to our Queen and Prince Philip. They both being from the loins directly of uh, Queen Victoria. You knew that, did you? But not first cousins, so their children shouldn't be potty. And so, and so, uh, um, so uh, Prince Charles, uh, you, know, you see now, working with a park at Bowers, is prepared to go through all that hassle and, and stuff, you know, and get your hands, ladies, on holy spunk. I mean, this is your, your, your dream, isn't it? Anyway, the, um, the grail, as I was saying, is down at uh, that money pit out uh, in uh, Mahone Bay, but <clears throat> we rather think that um, what it is now is probably the scientific, you know, the scientific secrets of the... Uh, of the Cathars, you know, the, uh, <laughs> I think you'd probably dig for it in vain now, <clears throat> it's already been uh, dug up by a Manchester hairdresser. Um, I'll tell you what they have pulled out of there, <clears throat> incidentally, is um, a bit of parchment that looks like it's um, a bit of the gospel, <clears throat> a bit of the gospel of the laughing Jesus. I never heard of it. I mean, I was a Jesus wet man, not a Jesus laughed. No, no, no. Well, um, we've actually, when you think about it, we do know about it. You remember that creepy film with Sean Connery when he was a monk investigator and he goes to that creepy monastery and they've got some <laughs> secret or other. I mean, it's such a desperate secret. Loads of monks have to die horribly in ponds and things. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, well, what is this secret anyway? And it turns out to be some sort of joke somewhere that they've found. Um, it's, it's quite, I would suggest you want to know about Holy Grail in uh, uh, it's Holy Grail across the Atlantic by Michael Bradley. It's a Canadian publication, but Compendium, <laughs> compendium would get it for you. Um, yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, they, 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 um, they pulled out a bit of parchment, as I say, that, that looks to be a bit of the um, of, of the Laughing Jesus Gospel. And um, uh, anyway, they were, they were showing me where you find it. You find it in the uh, in the Nagamardi Library. You know about the Nagamardi Library? 
No. Now, what, um, if, you want, if you understand what this is, you, you, first of all, you've got to go back to the Council of Nicaea. At the Council of Nicaea, what year was that? 348 or something like that. Anyway, Emperor Constantine had got rather interested in this, um, this Christianity business. But at that time, there was loads of different Christian sects, and there was loads of Gospels. There was just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There was the Gospel of Judas, even the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, the Gospel of Thomas, the Gospel of Philip, all sorts of Gospels, you know. And, uh, but anyway, Constantine got interested in Christianity, and he got even interested in this God Almighty, not the nothing one, you know, sort of big, that big one, more, more, more our one. And um, he, said, uh, he said, you know, because this would be awfully handy for conquering people. He said, I mean, like, already we could have all the Mithras folk. He says, it's awfully like Mithras. A Christian said, is it? Well, it's like Mithras. So Mithras is just the God of the sun. He said, you yeah, know, well, says Constantine, no, we will tell them that Mithras is bigger than we thought. He said, they really won't mind, I don't think. He said, so that's all, that's all that one. But he said, I think the bother, though, is, is, you know, in all these conflicting Gospels, he said, you know, we can't just conquer people and hold a debate. He said, so listen, he said, so we'll, we'll just have a few, look, we'll just have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all right, and John, and, 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 that, and that letter from that nice Timothy and a few other bits and pieces. I said, man, that's just a starter pack. No, he said, I think it'll do us, I think it'll do us, to be honest. And uh, anyway, so that's what he did, and so he destroyed, he destroyed all the other ones. And anyone who sort of remembered anything about the other ones didn't seem to turn up on the Thursday. Anyway, so that was that. So all, all those ones have been missing and lost up until 1948. And it was in 1948 in Nag Hammadi, uh, that's a region of Egypt, that this um, Arab uh, decided to uh, go and murder another Arab in another village. I, mean, I believe it was a rather nasty piece of work, the one in the other village. And, um, and, uh, and um, thank God, he, he managed it. He dispatched the guy. And, and he was in this cave, uh, in it, resting, and he backed into this fucking great urn. And, and, and he gave it a kick, and, and out came all this, these papyrus scrolls and whatnot. Uh, they were written in oldies, so he couldn't make it in the tail of them. But he, he, he gradually humped them all back to his mum's. Uh, his mum used some to cook on. Uh, and anyway, then they got to the marketplace and said, well, good Lord, these are the lost Gospels. And that's been like, well, it's all in here. You can go to St. Watkins, always stop. It's, it's got the Gospel of Thomas and Philip and all, and all this stuff. And so it is quite extraordinary, actually. Now, this is one, this is the one they showed me in Halifax, a, a fragment of which come out of um, the money pit, which is the second treatise of the great Seth. Um, we don't actually have the first treatise, but it's probably Mum Cook on that one. Um, and here, look, you can have a look. See, the interpretation of the crucifixion is that of the Gnostic Basilides. Simon of Cyrene is crucified in the place of the laughing Jesus. Now, they say, well, this is the second treatise of the great Seth. It's more that it's a sort of comedy monologue by Jesus, which uh, the great Seth, I guess, you know, a sort of Billington of the day, anyway, sort of, you know, jotted down at the best gags. And, um, and when you get to the, um, the crucifixion bit, um, it's, there's Jesus standing up on the hill, and there's this Simon of Cyrene character, and it's him they put the crown of thorns on, and nail him up on the cross, and, and Jesus just can't help laughing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, suppose, um, I suppose I've been a, a supposer, uh, well, for really as, as long as I, I, I can suppose, I mean, suppose, suppose and suppose, that you shouldn't believe anything, you know? That I don't believe anything. I mean, even the great beliefs. Oh, I, I, I learned this in the Gansill Library from a fellow in a barrack. Always listen to people in barracks. 
Um, uh, he said, um, he said, is it even the great beliefs, Kenneth? If you trace any of the great beliefs back, you'll find they're all the product of a human mind. He said, the product of a human mind is not worth basing any belief on. You know, that, that he bumped me to something, he says, he says uh, and I believe that. <laughs> I don't believe that, you know. He's like, well, we're in the country of a blinkered arsehole, that's for sure. Uh, no, uh, I don't believe anything. Uh, but to suppose, you see, to suppose... It's uh, different, you know, like lady there may, may well be not a UFO lady, you know, her opinion might not be that a number of people, a number of ladies from Inverness are being picked up by flying saucers as we speak and gynaecologically investigated and someone <laughs> fertilised. You might have been, look, but, you know, you know, but if she, if she just searches uh, her in, oh buddy, you know, just like that. <laughs> <laughs> because when you think, you see, thinking is an electrical process, you see, electricity's going on when you think, and you don't know how it will reconnect, you know, it'll re-plug, re-plug up. And, um, uh, you know, that is what we call um, an illumination or, or a flash. Could, you know, it uh, could happen for you there, dear. Um, <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, so, no, to, to, I mean, I suppose, I suppose you could suppose that one of the great religions had got it absolutely right, you know, and every nut and cranny, every, every, every nut and bolt has got it, but only suppose it. Only suppose it. I mean, <clears throat> any, 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 uh, any sign that you believe that your belief is it. I mean, that is what the ancient Greeks called hubris. Any sign of that, man. The regular gods will come shrieking out of the skies. It'd be very nasty for you and everyone concerned, and probably some innocent bystanders. But to suppose. And I'll tell you what, I mean, we're well served in London, I suppose, aren't we? I mean, some excellent bookshops for us. Uh, my, my bookshop, in my bookshop for nearly 30 years now, is a compendium. Companion bookshop, Camden Town. I mean, not only will they, you know, get you anything, um, they, you know, I mean, they, they actually automatically stock, you know, the stuff that's not on any computers, uh, like um, Anthony Verney's The Happy Retirement, um, <laughs> Colin Bennett's Practical Time Travel. Uh, <laughs> and also the, the, the staff there, the staff there know what, they, know what they've got. In there, you know, if you develop some absurd or abstruse dress, they'll be able to open little doors for you, they'll, they'll shine some Get you the gear. Our boys need books. Um, <laughs> I was in there not so long ago, oh, and, and there was a there was a bug in there. Do you know Do you know Terry? It was, anyway, well, well Terry, Terry'd been uh, Terry had recently he said encountered a gnome. He'd been on um, he'd been on holiday in Cornwall and out on a walk, and, and it's standing by this hedge just by a five bar gate was a gnome. How about that high, you know, his little hat on and everything. And he, and he, was, clearly, he was alive and everything. And, and he, 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 he said, hello. And the gnome said, can you see me? He said, you're not supposed to be able to see me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can remember my, my first um, hypochondriacal excitement. It was about when I was seven. And I just started to read, and um, I was wondering why they put you know, books so high, so out of my reach, what, what was in them. And I grind up and I got one down. Quite simply, it was Pear's Cyclopedia. Anyway, I was thumbing through it, and I found myself in the medical section. And I was reading about your appendix. You know, that is the onset of appendicitis. You want to get along to the hospital fast, you've got about 36 hours, you know, otherwise it's your appendix is like a boneless finger, evidently, 
you know, like that there. So we've got nobody knows what it's doing there, actually. It's sort of alien finger uh, you've got in there. Anyway, if that starts to uh, expand much, there's going to be a build-up of gas and fluids and foodstuffs, and kaboom, you know, we could explode. Um, anyway, handily in the, in the cyclopedia, they've got a little uh, drawing of your appendix where it's to be found and, and everything. Anyway, so I was feeling it, make sure mum's, you know, all, all right. And uh, just seemed it. Well, actually, it wasn't, you know. And uh, <laughs> I thought, actually, uh, maybe I've bruised myself by poking around so much, you know. <laughs> so I thought, well, I've got 36 hours. So um, what I'll do is I'll, I'll leave myself alone for, you know, six or seven hours and have another little feel. And, uh, you know, just feel bad about it. Tell me, Mum, I'd better get off to, to the doctors straight away. But the problem was I couldn't leave myself alone for more than about three minutes, you know. And I and um, anyway, luckily that afternoon, because uh, we weren't at school that day, I think it was an election, and we were off to um, my auntie's, and my auntie had um, a proper, you know, uh, medical advisor, so I, I, I snuck off uh, behind the sofa with it, and that, this was marvellous, because this had, um, like, proper coloured plates in it, like, you know, like this, so you really, uh, really get to grips with, uh, you know, what you've got and everything, and uh, try and work out whether you're all right or not. Anyway, following um, various flowcharts and symptoms, uh, along. It, it, uh, it turned out that I'd been born with a woman's bladder. <laughs> and then, then it on that I was pregnant. <laughs> I, I, I mean, but, but I had heard, you know, I was only seven, I had heard, of course, mainly ladies who went in for that, but the following day at school, Geary School, Bargainside, Ilford, Essex, um, that, I, I was asking around, you know, were there any of the other kids that maybe heard of, you know, men? ever giving birth. And uh, that, that's where I received this information. I've never had it uh, uh, verified again. I mean, maybe somebody can help us with this tonight. Uh, uh, but that was that Mohammed was born from a man. Uh, Mohammed was born from a man's leg, uh, is what I heard. And that's why, you know, like sometimes they wear those great voluminous trousers, you know, but, but you know, tie it in there, it's in case there's a second coming. Because, you know, because, you know, obviously you don't want the great man rolling in the road, um, you know, the important baby like that. And, um, anyway, it sounds a bit wacky to begin with, you know, like born in a man's neck, but if you just really feel in, you can feel how that could happen. <laughs> anyway, I said, I thought of a bit of a snake coming out, out of school, and a dab uh, by Gantz Hill tube station. It was a bookstall, and I, I got hold of um, a second-hand paperback called Curiosities of Medicine. And it turns out that actually quite a number of men have given birth. And it, and it comes about like this usually, that they were, they were going to be twins. They should have been twins, but their twin somehow got inside them, you know? It's what's called a parasitic twin. And the twin will be ever so wee, ever so small maybe, you know, for years and years. And then so nobody knows why. It'll start to grow. And it's not, not going to necessarily make for an orifice either. This thing will come out anyway. an Italian count. And he's got twin, he's parasitic twin. Like just the face of it started to come out on the back of his head. And it was an awful silly fella. And he had like a hollowed out chest, you know, like his chest, he could open it like that. And, and in there, like sort of growing out of him, was his, um, a, a, like a little homunculus twin thing that he could, he could never do. He had to clean it out regularly. Anyway, um, anyway, in all, I thought I'd better get along to the doctors, you know. And he said, so my mum took me, and the doctor examined me. He said, no, I said, I think you're all right. He said, 
don't know. No, he seemed very bruised. <laughs> I'll tell you what's always been, I mean, for 20 years or more, it's been marvellous, is the Fortean Times. That's just absolutely terrific, you know, and it's gentle and humorous, and, you know, like you can always go further if you want, or just, you know, have a little bit out of there to work out. I think you all this stuff, let me tell you, because I was far too young when I got involved with TM, I was only about 20 or 21, but we kept seeing this, it was all pinned up everywhere. TM, TM. Because uh, it was a trademark, it's a, you know, TM, TM, TM. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, anyway, marvellous things were happening, uh, happened for you, apparently, did you? TM, TM. And uh, so I went to the Caxton Hall to find out about it, and there was some, um, it's a old British colonel fellow, um, and, and he was telling us, so TM stood for Transcendental Meditation. Anyway, if you joined his outfit, you'd get a mantra. Um, and, and then if you meditated on your mantra, uh, I couldn't think what this would look like, maybe like on your mantra, so some sort of oriental box, I'm going to say. Or maybe a mat on your mantra, you'd sit on a mantra mat. Maybe. Anyway, whatever. Anyway, you'd meditate on your mantra and you'd bubble back into yourself. You'd bubble back in and you'd find the blueprint of yourself. And then, you never do this half an hour in the morning and half an hour in the evening. Anyway, then, and sometimes you'd, you'd be finding, apparently, that you'd be pulling back your bowstring. You know, that half hour in the morning, you pull back your bowstring, and then kaboom! You know, you really get things done in amazing fashion during the day. You know, it's had a rather attractive idea. I'll tell you what was attractive, is it sounded like cheating. Anyway, so I, I, signed, I signed on for it, and this involved um, then having to go along to this very nice house, big house in Kensington. And you had to take with you five pieces of fruit and five blooms, was the instruction. And, 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 and my dad had given me some, you know, a few pansies or something out of the garden. And, um, five outscan oranges on it, and then, then you had to take along a cleanly laundered handkerchief, and I've forgotten that, and I just had to bag it up, old John, and so I had to nip into the washroom and uh, get that washed out, so in my case the ceremony was done with a damn hanky. <laughs> anyway, there we were in this big room, there's about 50 of us uh, waiting to, uh, to get our mantras. They'd been stressed that the mantra, uh, the, mantra the, uh, the meditation was for rich and poor alike. Anyway, the man and the lady were coming round for the money now. And quite simply, you'd pay one week of your salary. See, if you're £100 a week, man, you'd have to give them £100. You see, and so, so, well, you know, they came to me and I said, well, I'm out of work. And they said, well, the meditation is for rich and poor alike. They said, are you receiving any assistance? I said, what? Yeah. They said, how much? I said, six pounds. I said, that's right. It's for rich and poor alike. And so they took me six pounds off. <laughs> anyway, then I was um, I was pulled upstairs, and I had to sit opposite um, this up and hold it and get to a sort of um, retired military gent, <coughs> and he showed how, how to sit. Uh, well, it wasn't any greatly complicated. It was something like this, I think. Uh, and, and he had shirt cardboard with him. You know what I mean? You know when you get a new shirt, you get a bit of cardboard in it. Um, you know, and then it comes back and then the cleaner side has got cardboard in it. Anyway, he had shirt cardboard with him. And um, written on the shirt cardboard was, um, in English phonetics, was some sort of Sanskrit or Urdu or something. Anyway, he read from his shirt cardboard, um, not that impressive in my opinion, and, 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 and um, then there was a bit of arsing around with me blooms, with me flowers and the rice, so he took my fruit off me, and then a bit of embarrassment with the damn hanky. And um, then he, he looked deep into me, and he said, Yours is bonga. <laughs> he, he said, well, say it. I said, I said, bonga. He said, no, listen. He said, bonga. 
I said, Bonga. Now listen, he said, Bonga. I said, Bonga. Yeah, no, he wanted me to repeat, no, repeat it. Bonga, 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 Bonga. I went. Faster he needed it. Bonga, 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 Bonga. Slower. Bonga, Bonga, Bonga. He said, no, he said, we'll get you going again. Uh, he said, um, and there'll come a point, he said, when I shall clap my hands. When I clap my hands, I want you to imbibe the mantra. Like, you know, he didn't want me to be saying it loud, I had to imbibe it. He wanted no physical movement at all, actually. And from that moment, I was never to repeat my mantra. That's all it is. Mantra. Just bonga, and that's it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that's all you get for six quid. Bonga. Uh, <laughs> anyway, then I was never, you know, you know to say it aloud again. It's certainly not to tell anyone. Anyway, bonga, 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 bonga. Anyways, he was satisfied and I had to then go next door and meditate on my mantra for half an hour. He said, if anybody wanders in, he said, you just carry on with your meditation. He said, don't be very caring people. I'll know what you're doing. You just carry on. Right, fine. Anyway, I went into the next room and I was thrilled. I mean, I mean, I was so excited. I mean, I'll tell you why. I was only young and I hadn't realised... How many foolish people there were in the world. I mean, downstairs there, there was 50 people. And Christ, they, were, they weren't uh, on the dole at all, any of those, you know. They've been handing in 100 pounds over some dickhead there. He said, he said, I only earn 50 pounds a week, he said, but I'm giving you 75, he said, because I know it's going to be so worth it. <laughs> and I mean, I just take them around, you know, new old oranges. They said, they have, like, taken melons and pineapples and all that. They were raking on the bonga, 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 breaking in all this money. It's a tie-up with a florist and a fruit store. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't meditating in there. I was thinking, mm, we did that on with this information. What can we do with our lives, boys? <laughs> and then there was a noise, no, no, sound of a possibly caring person outside the door. Bonga, 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 bonga. Bonga, bonga, bonga. Anyway, uh, my person came in. And, then, and said, um, all right, you can come out now. Oh, oh, oh. And then I, I went down in the kitchen. I had to have my meditation checked. And this uh, fellow said, um, how, how did your meditation go? And I said, uh, well, I said, the mantra went um, uh, faster and slower. And sometimes it was um, imperceptible, just a sort of echo. He said, you've had a deep one. He said, he, said, don't, he said, don't expect it all to be as good as that. <laughs> always, always approach your medication innocently. <laughs> Absolutely. Anyway, he, um, uh, he said, no, he said, oh, he said, you're out of work. He said, so you could get uh, two done. You get half an hour in the morning and another half hour I'm done by six, couldn't you? I suppose so, yeah. Um, he said, well, in that case, then you could go along to this address in Finchley at seven. He said, Mr. Thing will check your meditation for you. I said, oh, thank you. Anyway, so they were such nice people, actually. I thought, well, I'd better go along. And I went along, and he was nice as well. And, it, and he made me a cup of cocoa and brought his cheese out. And, and, he, and he said, how did your meditation go? I don't know, I hadn't done it, of course. And I said, uh, I, said I think I had another deep one this morning. I said, you know, it went faster and slower and just a sort of echo and all that. Uh, but I said to the evening, Mum was a dead loss. I said, maybe you know, a bit nervous about meeting you. But, uh, could be. He said, oh, he said, always approach your meditation innocently. <laughs> but, you know, right. Anyway, so I said, I'll see you same time tomorrow then. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Anyway, I went along the next night and told him some rot about how it had gone. And, um, and, and he'd made me a ham salad. And um, anyway, he thought I'd be all right for the next day, but I had to see him again on the Friday. I thought, oh, Christ, I've got to get out of this nonsense. 
you know, I mean, the problem was they were such nice people. And the thing was, I mean, I, I wanted to be a great writer. I mean, the last thing you needed is you're going to be a great writer is a company of nice people. You know, I mean, I, mean, I needed to be with perverts and criminals. And so I thought, well, how am I going to get out of this honourably, you know? I thought, well, the way you get out honourably would be to, you know, break the law, break the rule, you know? And so I, I, I did so. I, I hurled mine to the rooftops. I said, mine's bonga! <laughs> and I was passing a news agent. I said, mine's bonga. And I told the, the, the bus conductor, too. And I, 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 I got home. And, and I, um, well, I stayed, I was living at the dad's actually. And I got, anyway, I felt fine about everything. You know, and they never bothered me um, um, ever again. And that, that would be, have been the end of it. And it wasn't for this. I, I just, uh, a few months before, um, left, left, I mean, graduated from, as I should say, the, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. And, and the thing was, and uh, I, I hadn't managed to get any sort of employment. And uh, there's this directory called Contacts, which is like, like a sort of list of imparatios in my, in my chance employer. And it's, all you can do is really write off to But I'd noticed that there was a, a fellow with a funny name running the, the, the Palace Theatre Watford, Giles Havergal. Something not a funny name. I wrote him a funny letter. So I wrote him a funny letter, and I got a reply. And, um, and so I wrote him another funny letter. And this time, I got another reply from him, and he said, um, "Would I like to go and meet him with a view, possibly, to playing um, Angus or other small parts in Macbeth?" I thought, "Well, yeah, I do. I'm very keen about this, indeed, you know." Because I've got no money. I was having to live with my dad's, you know. And he was a very funny guy, dad. But you know, I wanted to go out and prove myself a bit. And um, so I was down at Gads Hill, Hill Station. I had to set off to Watford. And I, I mean, how far that is, I mean, Gadsdale's way down there on the central line, Watford, I think it's about the longest thing, you know, journey you can attempt on the tube. <laughs> Back in those days, you remember, you used to have to have a specific ticket to go to a specific place. And um, I can't think of uh, Watford, with, uh, you saw what you did, though, with Gomez, I think. You had to write a note to the band of Watford saying, I'll pay it, and put them and stamp it, and I was there talking. To get this curious letter of transit. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to get this job. I mean, I've always known. I mean, I'd always known that there is a secret, you know, to getting something you want. You know, there is a sort of open sesame magic thing. You know, that like you go in, bong, and you got it. I've always known that. I just I don't know quite how you do it and what it was. Um, anyway, so I was going down the escalator. I thought, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to pull back my bowstring then. You know, <laughs> I'm going to go bonga, bonga, bonga all the way to the bottom. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, get, even though, you, you know, you just get self-conscious, even though it's just you. And when, anyway, I was going down the escalator. Come on, come on. Bonga, 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 bonga. Bonga, 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 bonga. Anyway, by the time the train came in, I was really going on it. Bonga, 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 people sitting opposite. Bonga, 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 bonga. But actually, they didn't know know that I was doing that because actually I was just going. Bonga, 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 bonga. Change trains. Bonga, 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 bonga. Then I didn't let up for a moment. Bonga, bonga, bonga. Anyway, I got to Watford really quite early. Bonga, 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 bonga. I thought, what shall I do now? Bonga, 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 bonga. I know, I'll go to Joe Lyons' cat for a cup of tea. Bonga, 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 bonga. And a scone, bonga, 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 bonga. I didn't say anything to the lady at the till, of course. Bonga, 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 sitting down. Is it possible to drink a cup of tea while going bonga, 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 bonga? Yes. And he's a scone. Bonga, 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 bonga. So it's time, time now to get over to the theatre. Bonga, 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 bonga. And they had a stage doorkeeper there. I said, yes. 
The Seekers podcast was produced and presented by Daisy Campbell and David Bramwell with kind permission from the Ken Campbell estate. Music was by Horton Jupiter. It was funded by Arts Council England. <laughs>